met mystery. Had a real good time and solved a crime real easily. Hey, a movie! I just can't believe they did it! Starting Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I am so tired. Uh, it has been a long, wonderful month of movie watching, um, which also explains why this episode's coming out a day or two late as well. Um, but the Melbourne International Film Festival, the 70th edition, uh, has come to a close and it was a wonderful month of August where I spent uh, pretty much every single day uh, basking in the glow of a cinema screen. And um, yeah, as you would have heard in our last episode the other week where we did our wrap up of the first week of the film festival, uh, we were hoping to do, uh, as we normally do in previous years, uh, sort of week by week catch up. But um, unfortunately, I believe it was on maybe the... uh, we recorded that one on the Wednesday, I think, uh, Tuesday or the Wednesday, and on that Saturday, um, Toby ended up catching COVID, <laughs> so uh, he did. He had to uh, bow out from seeing a whole bunch of films at the festival, unfortunately, um, which left me kind of uh, flying solo on my movie uh, journey there. So I thought instead of trying to do like a little weekly update there, I would just kind of hold off for another week and do a big kind of general wrap up at the end of end of the festival. Um, all that being said, the um, the festival being wrapped up. That's the in person section is wrapped up, but still currently the uh, the streaming portion is still happening, and so I've still got a, a list of like six films I'm trying to catch before Sunday actually at this point. So it's still uh, still a lot on the watch schedule at this point. But what I thought I would do, uh, just in lieu of sort of, you know, leaving you episode list or anything, it would be to check in and give some little mini reviews and some recommendations of the really great stuff that I've managed to see at the festival. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going to breeze over a whole bunch of them just because, I mean, not to say that there's anything bad about these films, but then I, I just figure if the ones that I thought were okay, um, you know, uh, example being uh, the um, Charlotte Le Bon's film uh falcon lake i mean it, it, it's a good film but it was one where like you know the it lost me in the back half so i was just like yeah it's, it's fine and so i don't want to necessarily waste a whole bunch of time discussing things that i didn't really love so or that i would highly recommend to people to check out if and when you get the chance so that's what we're going to focus on is is the stuff that i thought really kind of stood out and popped for me or at least i think is you know worth Worth talking about, at least in a kind of minimal capacity, I guess. Uh, Which will lead me to our first film. So we should, I guess, kick off by discussing uh, the first one here that I saw, which was uh, Lucas Dont's Close. Uh, The uh, the, Danish film from Belgium, actually. Um, I've got the letterbox description up here. Uh, two 13-year-old boys have always been incredibly close, but they drift apart after their relationship is questioned by schoolmates. When a tragedy strikes, one is forced to confront why he distanced himself from his closest friend. Okay, so I'm sure listeners have probably heard about this film. Um, it was the one that was really tipped to be the uh, walk away with the palm door at Cannes this year. Um, an award that, you know, in a bit of an upset and a surprise, went to Triangle of Sadness, um, a film that I 
really enjoyed. Um, and Close ended up uh, tying uh, with Stars at Noon uh, for the Grand Prix uh, at the festival. Uh, it is a film that is incredibly emotional. I think that is the only possible word you can use to describe this film. Um, I'm going to try to not go into spoiler territory because I went in expecting the film to be sort of have one narrative path that it was going to be traveling down. And then, you know, as I sort of read in that little cryptic description there, like, uh, you know, the, the tra- something happens and it is not what I expected and where the film then ends up going for, say, the next hour, almost hour or 50 minutes of its runtime. Like, the, the event happens about halfway through. And then for the second half of the film, you just have to sit with this character in this in this emotional state. And when you're a viewer watching it, it's it's crushing. <laughs> um, it, it's a film I I don't think I've ever heard the sound of so many people pulling rummaging in their bags to pull out tissues before in a film. Um, it was you know you hearing people blowing their nose. There were some people that would, you could hear just outright sobbing in the cinema um and i it was just almost a constant stream of tears for like 40 minutes straight and as a work as a piece of filmmaking to be able to elicit that kind of visceral response from an audience is something that i think definitely should be awarded or like you know noticed um the fact that he you know lucas daunt is a filmmaker and in particular um i believe it's um it's his name is eden dam Dambrain, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, the actor who plays the the kid, an incredible performance. I, I would probably happily say one of the best child performances, probably since Henry Thomas in E.T. or you know Haley Joel Osment in Sixth Sense. Like that level of masterpiece acting from a child. Um, it's in, but the way that they're able to kind of present this this brutally raw story for you and have you connect with it on such a deep level um, is very, very impressive. Uh, obviously, it, it's an incredibly upsetting <laughs> film to watch, like as you can imagine, where you're sort of just sobbing and crying for so long. But it is also one... It's now been about two weeks since I saw that film, and the further away, when I'm sitting there watching it, I was thinking, this is a masterpiece. This is this is brilliant. Um, I can't believe they've managed to tell a story like this, uh, tell it so effectively, and have me be so engaged. Um, but now that I'm two weeks removed from the film, the more I think about it, it the more it's kind of leaving a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Um, it was one where, where, while I was watching it, in between all the tears and stuff... I was became acutely aware of the fact that I was being emotionally manipulated. Um, you know, and not to say that that's a bad thing. Like, I mean, that's what films do. That's what films are. Like, you know, it is, you know, being... It's triggering a response to in your emotion through, you know, visuals <laughs> in its bluntest manner. But the... I think my issue with it is where it when the film came to an end, I was sort of like, you've put me through such an emotional ringer, but there wasn't necessarily a catharsis for it. It it seemed almost like a somewhat masturbatory exercise in emotionally manipulating an audience and can we get away with 
effectively doing that. And and as I said, like if that if that is the case of what you know Lucas Daunt and his cast and crew are aiming to do, it's five stars. Like you 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 have achieved what you set out to do perfectly. And you should be also applauded for telling this type of story that I don't think I've ever seen on... I think I've maybe seen on screen once before, but not from this child perspective. Um, But it's... yeah, I'll leave it to you guys to guess what the other one possibly could be. Um, But yeah, it's... The further away I'm getting from it, the more it is. The the emotional manipulation is... Like I said, it's... I acknowledge the feat of filmmaking that went into it, but the lack of any resolution or catharsis at the end of it all kind of really makes me question what the need, what what was the purpose to put us through such an emotional onslaught? Um, I guess, you know, Lucas Donde is a bit of a, you know, maybe he's just a bit of a dom in that way, I guess, <laughs> wanting to make his audience feel like shit and sit there and kind of revel in it, I guess. But it is, like, summing up close. I mean, it is a film. It is an incredibly moving and emotional film that is a very, very hard film to watch. Um, it's one that I know that a lot of people will find very deeply upsetting. Um, but it is an interesting filmic exercise that I think is definitely worth looking into. Um, and it's one based on... Most people that I've talked to, like, I, I've spoken to some people that have said it's their number one film of the year. Like, they, they, they are so dialed in on it. So it'll be very interesting to see sort of where this comes as the year begins to sort of wrap up, I guess, seeing where this ends up on, you know, best of the year lists or, you know, come award season or anything like that. It will be an interesting one to kind of track because it's, it's, it's so unique. Um, speaking of unique, um, I'm going to shout out a little film that I saw called, uh, Saloon, which I believe is dropping on Shudder in, uh, September actually. So if you have that wonderful streaming service, you'll be able to check it out yourself. Um, this is a fantastically fun 84 minute long little film um, set in a small African town. I believe it's a Senegalese uh, film uh, by origin. Um, I, I sort of had, you know, an hour and a half spare in the fe- in a time slot of my festival schedule. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go for this one. I'd heard some really cool stuff about it. And man, I had a lot of fun. This, this, it, not to give anything away, but it, it kind of seemed to me like the vibes I got from it were kind of if you were to get a like get a blender and put inside um, baccarat, uh, let the corpses tan if you've ever seen that one, and a little bit and fuck it, why not let's throw in some from dusk till dawn <laughs> and kind of mix that all up in the blender. Uh, it's about a, a three mercenaries who are um, trying to extract a drug lord and then are forced to hide out in this weird small little. Uh, like a country town called Saloum, and shit kind of gets revealed and then kind of goes in a very interesting and weird direction. And it is really stylized and really, really fun. Um, that's one, just a little quick one. I know it's, like I said, it's popping up on uh, Shudder in September. So if you get a chance, and, you know, definitely worth 84 minutes of your time. Um Next up I want to talk about is Holy Spider. 
um, which is an Ali Abbasi film. Um, I it's one. Whenever there's an Iranian film at MIF, I I go. Um, I I love Iranian cinema. I I wrote a university paper on Iranian cinema, um, and so I'm just whenever there's one that, new one that I can check out, I'm like I'm all in. And then it's also interesting to note um, that the actress, the main actress from the film, actually won the Best Actress Award at Cannes. Uh, Zah Amir Eberami, I believe is the pronunciation of her name. If not, I apologize. Um, but this one is actually, it was a, I, I had one idea, similar kind of guess of close of what I was getting into with this one. But this was an Iranian serial killer film. Um, it, it kind of is almost ripping on, riffing on Zodiac a little bit, where it's, where main, our main sort of focus is a journalist who is, uh, reporting on, uh, this serial killer who is killing all of, um, these, uh, of sex workers. Um, he's known as the spider killer because the area in which he is, um, killing people is, uh, called the spider because it's a sort of head area of this neighborhood where all these, uh, streets are branching off from it and it looks kind of like a spider. But... Yeah, so I went in expecting, oh, this is what this is going to be. It's going to be this uh, female journalist kind of fighting against a patriarchal system in amongst this, you know, trying to find answers on, about someone who's committing violence against women. Uh, in, very interesting subject matter. But what ended up happening with the film is it really does not spend that much time with um, our, our journalist character, which is super interesting considering that she won Best Actress at Cannes. Instead, the film decides to spend most of its time really focusing on this perspective of the killer. Um, we sort of follow him and his family. Like, we see him with his family. We see who he is as a person, how he interacts. And then all throughout the process of him abducting and killing these women and all through that process. it's And then as well after... And then in the back half as well, it kind of lead. It's really... I don't want to spoil, I guess. It, it goes very hard into the the psychology and understanding of the man who committed all of these atrocities as opposed to focusing in on um the the victims or the the woman who is trying to actually who who eventually actually is the person that you know leads to his arrest and things um but it's 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 a really interesting film in the sense of i if you're a fan of the serial killer genre uh it it's Seeing a film like this um, made in within the Iranian film system, I know that the Iranian government and things like and the Iranian film board didn't actually produce this film. It was a lot of outside funding and things, uh, but it was still shot there and you know using those locations and those actors and things. It, it's it's unlike anything you've kind of seen come out of Iranian cinema for quite a while. So it, if you're into have any passing interest in either Iranian cinema. Or uh, serial killer thrillers or detective stories, um, definitely worth a look. Um, wasn't quite what I was hoping for in terms of a standout film, um, but was still engaging enough. Um, speaking of one that was not really standout, it's uh, <laughs> the next one I'm going to quickly chat about is Claire Denis' new film, her second one for the year, actually. Um, Stars at Noon, uh, the other film that also uh, tied for the Grand Prix alongside uh, Close at Cannes this year. Um, this is an interesting one because Claire Denis as a filmmaker is someone I am very hit and miss on. Um, I'm a big fan of Beau Travail, um, but 
high life I did not dig. Um, it, it's really, it's almost like a, I like one, I don't like one. I like one, I don't like one. Um, so, and going into it, stars at noon, I was like, screw it, I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm going to check it out. You know, Grand Prix winner at Cannes, interesting story, an interesting cast. Let's, let's roll the dice on Claire Denis again. And then all the reviews that I've been seeing coming out is people not not vibing with this at all. And I th- I am crazily the lone dissenter who is all in on this movie. I fucking loved it. Um, it it's one where I can definitely understand is not... Like, looking at like my letterbox, it's, I gave it a three and a half out of five. It's not a masterpiece of filmmaking, but it is one at the end of the festival that I just keep thinking about and th- still really, really enjoy. Um, it's the synopsis is a young woman, uh, a young American journalist, uh, stranded in Nicaragua falls for an enigmatic Englishman who seems like her best chance to escape. She soon realizes though, that he may be in even greater danger than she is. Uh, it stars Margaret Qualley, uh, Joe Alwyn. Uh, then you've got some pop-up appearances from Benny Safdie, uh, John C. Riley. very briefly. Um, it's, it's a very long film. I believe it's, um, what, two, two and a quarter hours long. And it's one where there were so many people walking out of this film. Um, it is very, very slow paced, but once I sort of tuned into the frequency of what Claire Denis was doing with the film, um, to me, how I took it was oh, she's doing like a riff on these 70s foreign espionage films. And once I kind of used that as my Rosetta Stone, I was able to really connect in and just kind of soak it all up. And I I loved it. I thought Margaret Qualley's performance was incredible. Um, can Benny Safdie please pop up in every single film now for a weird little role in the back third? I, I want that in everything now. Um, yeah, just... It's not an out-and-out spy movie or anything, but it just has that DNA of that espionage, trying to get across the border, you know, a stranger in a strange land stuff going on with it, um, while also having a really intense romance happening at the same time. I don't know, there was just something about it that really connected with me, and I just dug the shit out of it. Um, Again, I guess, asterisk and caveat, like, not for everybody, but man, I, I... I think this is going to be up there in, like, my end-of-year list. I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, I followed that one up, actually, with uh, an instant crowd-pleaser that I'm sure most people are aware of. Uh, the film uh, adaptation or, you know, expanding of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On uh, by Jenny Slate and... Um, uh, why am I blanking on his goddamn name? And uh, Dean Fleischer Camp, uh, you know, the, the expansion of their little, uh, short film that came out, I think, 2010 or thereabouts, um, which I loved, like, initially just being a comedy nerd and being all in on Jenny Slate and things. Um, but this was a film, like, God damn, if you don't enjoy this film, you have no heart. <laughs> it is such a sweet and lovely adorable adorable film i get i've seen a few people have the complaints of like it's just not really doing or saying anything i'm like yeah that's fine though it's like an almost g-rated family stop motion animated 
lovely exercise and meditation on family and belonging. What more do you want? He's a shoe. He's a shell that has shoes on. God damn it! And he loves watching sixty minutes with his grandma. <laughs> it's adorable. Um, I mean, my, the only other thing I'll sort of say in there is um, you, trigger warning for any grandparent stuff. Um, yeah, it it hit real fucking close to home. Uh, some of the some of the nana stuff in there for me, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's adorable and I loved it. Um, speaking of things I didn't necessarily love, um, I know I wasn't going to talk about things that didn't, that I didn't necessarily connect with, but I want to talk about Speak No Evil, um, the, the horror film, actually, um, about a Danish family who visit a Dutch family that they meet on holiday. Uh, what was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly starts unraveling as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. Um, this was a film that... For the first hour or so, it, it it's playing almost like a horror movie version of an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where it, it's riffing on the tropes of um, of politeness and that European hospitality, um, but it's shot and scored and acted. With, the tone that it's emitting is dark, moody horror film, but it's stuff like you didn't set the table properly. And I'm like, this is kind of genius. This is such an interesting way to, to kind of subvert the the tropes of this horror genre or, the, you know, this comedy of manners, I guess. And then the film shifts gears and it goes into proper horror film territory and uh, it becomes a very mean and a very nasty film that, is one of the most upsetting things I've seen in a cinema for a very long time. So, I mean, if you're a fan of horror movies, it, it's definitely an interesting take, but it is a... I have to warn people, like, if... Yeah, it, it's one of the nastiest movies I've seen for quite a while. Um, you know, and I've, I've seen a lot of horror movies and so it takes a bit to actually kind of shock or upset me these days. Uh, but bravo, speak no evil. You still managed to actually do it. Uh, we're rounding the kind of home stretch here. I just wanted to point out like a couple little more ones here. Um, I managed to get to see, um, War Pony, which is the film, uh, the directorial debut of, uh, Riley Keough and, um... I want to get her... Who else directed it with her? Uh, Gina Gamel. Um, so, basically, the the backstory of this one was, I believe, while shooting the Andrea Arnold film, American Honey, um, when they were going kind of across the Midwest there, um, Riley Kehoe stumbled upon the people of um, this reservation and kind of fell in love with their stories and their storytelling and their life and their culture there. So, she ended up... She's now made this film that is... Basically, it's an entirely indigenous cast of people um, set uh, who live on that reservation and things, telling their stories in their own way and kind of giving people an idea of the life uh, of on the reservation. And it's focusing on um, two Lakota, uh, Lakota boys in particular. There's one, a 23-year-old Bill, who is basically trying to shift away from like that teenage life of crime and stuff and try and make a better life for himself, try and move himself into a better, you know, position. Uh, while simultaneously, um, it's Maho, uh, sorry, Matho, who is a 12 year old boy who is then, who's kind of the opposite way. He is descending 
down into that life of crime and, um, you know, becoming a 12-year-old meth dealer and things, which prompted so many walkouts. I saw people walking out of this movie within the first 10 minutes, which I'm like, fuck you, give, more, give it a chance. What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, as a first film, holy shit, I loved this. I, I thought it was such an interesting... Uh, it really, really, really reminded me of an Andrea Arnold film uh, or maybe even a bit of some of that early Lynn Ramsey stuff where it's just kind of or not a, not a pseudo documentary style but that real kind of ver- it's got a verite movement to it especially the there's a lot of handheld and natural lighting and things but the juxtaposition of the two intertwining stories and you know the, these stories cross paths by like you know they'll we'll be following Bill for one point and then he'll drive past the kids and then we're like okay now we're back we're going to follow these guys for a little while it's that floating kind of roving in and out of um, each other's lives and things and how they don't necessarily ever really affect each other but their circumstances continue to affect each other and um, I just think it's a great piece of filmmaking uh, they ended up winning the um, the camera door at Khan for this one and it's one that I hope gets a, a bit of a wider release um, come later in the year because I actually don't know who has picked it up for distribution at this point yeah I know it's a protagonist production um yeah, it, I hope somebody picks it up and gets it out there for people to see because it, it's a great piece of indie filmmaking and a fantastic directorial debut. Um, another one that I end up rolling the dice on, um, especially based off a recent episode of the podcast, I went and saw EO, which is the um, loose adaptation slash remake of Oh Hazard Balthazar. And... Man, I won't say much about it, but like I enjoyed this one so much more than Oh Hazard Balthazar, and I think it's mainly because the main shift of this film, instead of being from the using the donkey as a religious allegory and telling the human point of view story, uh, this one is primarily told through the focus of the donkey. Um, so if you're wanting to check out a film that actually has donkey POV shots, uh, EO is the film for you. Um, it is probably the best looking film I've seen this year as well. Um, cinematography was fantastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, what more can you say? If you, if you're going into EO, if you've seen all Hazard Balthazar, you know what you're going to see. Um, but it's not necessarily an enjoyable film, but I think it was, I found it a way more engaging film than I did the Brisson uh, the Brisson original, I suppose. Um, the last two I'm going to talk about is I'm going to shout out, um, the film, the eight mountains, which I also believe was a Khan award winner. Um, just briefly, uh, lovely little film about friendship. Uh, again, beautifully, beautifully shot, wonderful music, wonderful performances. Um, a tad long (laughs) but other than that it's it's just a wonderful little meditation on friendship over the years and how uh moving in and out of people's lives and friendship and kind of connects and touches and affects everybody uh really enjoyed that one but the other absolute the i would argue the standout from the second half of the festival for me is um the film uh charlotte wells film after sun I fucking loved this movie. Um, <laughs> it's one, again, I know is not for everybody. Uh, it is incredibly slow-paced. Um, again, reminds me of like early Lynn Ramsey type stuff. 
um, where it's it's mainly told in media res, and it's this presentation of uh, this young, uh, you know, twelve year old girl um, looking back on spending a holiday with her father in I want to say a Spanish or Greek island. Um, over a week for a summer holiday, kind of 20 years later, kind of looking back and um, we're kind of cut in between the two of, you know, revisiting her stuff through memory and then also revisiting stuff through mini DV tape holiday home video footage that they shot together and things and using that to kind of piece together this narrative. And it is like bitterly melancholy, but amazingly engaging um, it's, it's, I can't imagine watching it as a parent and having, a, how that would kind of hit with you. Cause you know, me being, a you know, <laughs> no kids in my life, but it's very much like, God damn, if I had a kid, this would be just be, this would wreck me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is about this one that just touched me. Um, beautiful performances, beautiful cinematography. I, I made me nostalgic for that sort of early 2000s time and place, I guess. The relationship between the father and the daughter, um, you know, you can't help but kind of reflect on your own sort of, you know, family life and stuff there as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was fantastic. I, I can't wait to actually watch it again. Um, but yeah, I guess that's... That's sort of all I'll, I'll kind of shout out in this little mini um, myth wrap-up. Uh, there's, you know, maybe about 10 films I've recommended for you there. Um, all of them definitely worth looking out uh, looking out for if you get a chance later in the year. But, um, yeah, that, that's it for myth. I'm still going to check out some stuff on the streaming service. I need to watch um, Panahi, um, Panthar Panahi's Hit the Road. I want to check out uh, Neptune Forge. Neptune Frost, um, the Balcony movie. There's a whole bunch of things up on there that I'm going to check out. So uh, I'm going to go and do some of that now. But in the meantime, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, We're going to be back to our regular scheduled programming. Uh, No more of this myth delay now. We're going to get back into the collection with Ugetsu from 1953, uh, a film that I know very little about other than it's supposed to be pretty good. So I'm going to go check that one out and we will be back in a fortnight's time with that episode. Um, Otherwise, we're still kicking along over on the Patreon, uh, doing our look back episodes, our commentaries, and uh, with any luck, some more fun stuff coming down the pike soon over there. Uh, As usual, you can send me an email at thecriterionquest at gbell.com. Follow me on Twitter, Letterboxd, all that stuff's in the episode description. But uh, yeah, I hope I haven't bored you too much with some uh, simple myth recommendations. But yeah, thank you all for listening, and I will be back in a fortnight's time with Who Gets To. But for this little episode, my name is Chris, and I'll see you next time. There was spectacle, there was fantasy, where we took the chance, and saw romance, and happily, in a movie, I just love the happy ending, one for everybody.